millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready get 30, ready get 20, 20, 20, ready get 20, 20, ready get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to the Billboard Charpy Podcast. Gary Trust, Billboard's co-director of charts. And hey guys, I'm Trevor Anderson, chart manager here at Billboard. Back after a week off, we did uh, the 1996 countdown, talked about Macarena a couple weeks ago. I was then on vacation, camping in Maine, canoeing. Well, I guess you guys don't know, don't know Gary. Or maybe you do at this point. Uh, you wouldn't think Gary would be an, out, an outdoorsman. He's a, he's a frontiersman. Why do you think I wouldn't be? You, know, you like cats and you like, you know cuddling with them on the couch and everything and i don't know just didn't didn't scream like you know hey let's take on the wilderness we saw a moose while we we're canoeing which is a little different than a cat i didn't want to cuddle with the moose did you did you disturb the moose it, we, it was while we were canoeing it came to the edge of the pond so we're able to keep a safe distance because those things are huge and if i started on the trail i probably would have really been scared Nice. And the other nice. highlight, other highlight, because where we went, it, it, there's no electricity, there's no power, there's no, uh, there's no indoor plumbing. It, it's completely uh, remote. Really nice outhouses. Two new outhouses they've built. Oh, very, very oh. impressed by them. Re- oh, Amazon Bezos outhouses coming through in Maine. Uh, I'm glad you were impressed by the, by by the by the porta porta Lisa there. No, it wasn't. It wasn't a porta potty. It was a nice outhouse. That was straight, much, was, oh. much much better. Wow, much more luxurious. Is it weird using an outhouse in like 2017? Like, are you, do you kind of you kind of get used to it, or like you get used to it very quickly? You get used to very quickly just living with what you have because it's you bring in your own water. What if you it, like 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 food. what do you do? Like your cell phone at night for like a flashlight or what? No, we had lamps and flashlights, oh, and we okay. made made a fire in the wood stove, and that winds up being like your entertainment for the night. Like when do you need to put a new log on when the fire is going down? It just sort of becomes all you're focusing on. And you know, in a way, in a way, it sounds kind of nice. You know, life's simple pleasures. So we're looking at why what's on the charts is on the charts as always. Again, on the Hot 100 this week, uh, we'll find out in just a moment. We're going to listen to the top ten. Despacito, number one for a 14th week on the Billboard Hot 100. Ties. Hashtag spoiler. Well, it does tie for the second longest reign at number one ever. And we're going to look at actually all uh, the eight songs. Currently in second place, Mariah and Boys to Men's One Sweet Day, number one with 16 weeks in 1995-96. We're going to look at the eight songs uh, currently tied with 14 weeks. Number one, we're going to rank them by uh, Hot 100 performance. 
And uh, also for our Industry Insider interview, a really fun guest. It's uh, Sandy Sturt Benjamin, who worked on American Top 40 with Casey Kasem uh, back in the 70s. She's going to share what it was like this week, 40 years ago, uh, when they were taping the show. And in the middle, I got news that Elvis Presley had passed away. So uh, really just uh, changed everything, changed everything in music, not just uh, for the show that week. So Sandy's going to talk about that, uh, share some other insights of working with Casey, uh, working on the show. And uh, at the end of the show, we'll flash back to what year, Trevor? Or we're going back to 2001. We'll be talking about a song that was in the top two of the Hot 100. One of the rare occurrences for this type of act to be that high on the Hot 100. And something we actually see once again this week in the top 10. So a um, little, little rarity of, of this particular type of artist being so high up there. Uh, we'll give you, of course, a little more less vague details coming up later. All right. Right now, this week's top 10 on the Billboard Hot 100. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Number 10. I'm the one, yeah. I'm the one early morning in the dawn. Know you want to ride now. I'm the one, yeah. I'm the one, yeah. Hear you sick of all those other imitators. Don't let the owner be like that. Number 9. Although my heart is falling too, I'm in love with your body. Last night you were in my room And now my bed sheets smell like you Every day discovering something brand Number eight Know you probably heard of me Got a bag and fix my teeth Hope you hoes know it ain't cheap And I pay my mama bills I ain't got no time to chill Think these hoes be mad at me Number seven I promise that your smile ain't gonna never be in Paris, every day 24 carats. Take a look in that mirror. Now tell me who's the fairest. Is it you? Is it you? My reputation manipulate my decisions. Baby, there's nothing holding me back. There's nothing holding me Number five. All right, and number one, yet again on the Hot 100, we have a Despacito, Luis Fonsi and Daddy Yankee featuring the one and only Justin Bieber. So this song's been number one for 14 weeks now, and as Gary alluded to at the top of the show, that is the second longest run that any song has had in the Hot 100's history. Uh, there actually are seven other songs. Kind of interesting that seven other songs have all stopped at this 14-week mark. Right. Uh, no song has actually stopped at 15 weeks. And like Gary said, uh, 
Mariah Boyce to Men, One Sweet Day, the all-time mark of 16 weeks. So Despacito, of course, by this point in the conversation, we've kind of been alluding to it, and people have been watching it for, for a while now. Ever since we get to the double-digit mark, people kind of get a little antsy. And here we are at 14. Now, at this point, like we said, every other song has stopped at this point. Nothing right. has carried on. Could this be the one? That is going to uh, at least make it to 15 next it, week. You know, it looks it looks right now pretty safe for a 15th week. Uh, for the last two weeks, it's had almost a 1.5 to 1 points lead over Wild Thoughts and number two by DJ Khaled featuring Rihanna and Bryson Tiller. So yeah, same lead this week as last week and it's a you know, fairly sizable lead. So uh, nothing else at the moment looks like it has a chance to break it next week. So 15th week looks pretty safe. But for now, eight songs are tied with 14 weeks, all below One Sweet Day, number one, 16 weeks. So we just real quick uh, rank them uh, based on Hot 100 performance, uh, the way we do our greatest of all time. Uh, at the moment, uh, Despacito is number eight of the eight because it hasn't finished its chart run yet. So uh, going forward, it'll add uh, many more weeks. We'll see where it winds up. But for all time uh, so far, it's number eight among uh, these eight songs. Number seven, I don't think you're going to like this, Trevor. The number seven ranking song of the eight 14-week number ones, was the first one Whitney Houston's "I Will Always Love You"? First song to get to fourteen weeks. Uh, number six, "Candle in the Wind," something about the way you look tonight. Elton John, twenty years old this year. The Princess Diana tribute uh, version, along with a new song, something about the way you look tonight. Yeah, and sold like hotcakes, of course, back in the day, and still obviously one of the best selling songs that has come out both in the U.S. and worldwide. Um, yeah. It, crazy to believe it's almost been 20 years since that, that yeah. came through it, it sold a million uh, physical singles in its first week and no song uh, in any platform did that again until adele's hello uh 18 years later sold uh, more than a million downloads in its first week according to nielsen music that is true uh, here's here's what's i'm gonna take a break from the countdown already after those three songs uh, in between the number six and number five 14 week number one is one sweet day so uh, there are five songs above One Sweet Day all time that actually wound up performing better. Again, it's not just uh, weeks at number one. It actually fell from number one to number five and didn't really stay on, on the chart for for uh, as long as you might think afterwards. You forget was... the most important part of all of that, Gary. What's that? Is that it debuted at number one. It yeah, right. Had no had right. no time to build up. That's true. Which, That's I mean, all it had was, was, was peak and fall. Because Mariah was that big then. She could debut at number one just like that. What's interesting, uh, Mariah and Boys to Men, they are together. They each have the next two songs. Uh, one Sweet Day, it's the all-time longest-running number one, but it's not even each artist's biggest song uh, overall. Right above that is I'll Make Love to You, uh, Boys to Men from 1994. Uh, how? Just how? Why? I don't know. Just, it just uh, I, I feel like I'll Make Love to You of all the big Boys to Men's. Uh, well, maybe. Well, maybe One Sweet Day is aged not as well. Like End of the Road is obviously like their they're like their like longest enduring hit that people will that's the song that I think that will carry forever. Everyone's gonna know End of the Road for whatever reason. Uh, the baby face, uh written, I'll make love to you. It's just just such a huge hit. It just it was just the right song for the right time by the right act. Yeah, I it's just, it's still interesting that it did, I mean it did as well as it did. And I mean not surprising, obviously like you said, End of the Road was, was there before and the momentum for them has always been really strong and I, and people really do enjoy this song, like in terms of couple grammy well, awards that, well, that and everything, was so it's celebrated right and that was the sound of the 90s too that uh that romantic r&b music that you don't hear crossing over like that nowadays yeah yeah, yeah. all right yeah. uh mariah outpaces uh, boys to men here we belong together is her uh, biggest uh, song on this list number four among 14 week number ones from 2005 so that's even bigger uh, for mariah than one sweet day 
Uh, yes, it it should be hundred uh, percent. I mean, that, that song was was definitely a. I mean, a standard in 2005. It was certainly, I mean, it crossed over to, I remember in particular, a lot of radio stations um, really embraced that song because it it obviously had the pop angle. And I know some of the more contemporary stations could play it. Top 40 was playing it. I mean, R&B, adult R&B, adult contemporary stations. Oh, yeah. It it had, you know, a little bit of everything for everybody that they could find. And it obviously put Mariah well back on the map. You know, that was was the big comeback single, even if she doesn't want to, you know, consider it a comeback. right. It definitely... um, you know, revived her career in a way that it hadn't been for quite a while. And, and it's got those little... Carried her on. Yeah, and it's got those little uh, lyrical throwbacks in there, too, where I only think of you on two occasions has the uh, the baby face uh, tie in there. Yeah. The, if you think you're lonely now, it's, it's got all these little little subtle touches. Jermaine Dupree in particular is very good at that, I've noticed. Um, I mean, he, he a lot of a lot of songs that he co-writes have sort of little mentions before uh, some of the songs that he wrote for Usher on the 8701 Confessions album. Always have a little, like I know in, you know, You Got It Bad, it calls out Fortunate by Maxwell just yeah, a little bit. And it's right. it's so subtle in a way that it's just, you know, three or four words, but you just, but you know. And it's like, wait a minute. Oh, I don't, oh that's, okay. Yeah, that's, a little instant that's familiarity good. kind of built right in. Yeah, it? yeah. So I think that is a, a shout out to Jermaine Dupree and his songwriting prowess. Uh, number three of the biggest 14-week number ones, Uptown Funk, Mark Ronson featuring Bruno Mars, which is the last song to be 14 weeks until Despacito this week. And of course, I'm sure everybody remembers, I mean, still to this day, you know, how massive a song that, that really was when it came out and continued to be. I mean, just everybody from, you know, it felt like, you know, 10 year olds to soccer moms to, you know, everyone nationwide could, could get behind that song and, you know, really power it up. Uh, number two, I, I think we talked about this probably enough in the last podcast, Macarena, Bayside Boys Mix by Los Del Rio. Listen to last week's podcast if you need more background. We talked to uh, Jam and Johnny, the uh, one of the remixers, uh, one of the Bayside boys. And number one, among all 14-week number ones, 2009, I Got a Feeling, Black Eyed Peas. I got a feeling that tonight's going to be a good night. That tonight's going to be a good night. That tonight's going to be It's so funny. I think this is probably – well, I'll, I'll, I'll actually oppose this question to you, Gary, even though I kind of just gave away what I think my answer is. You know, sometimes when, when we mention this just here on Billboard and, you know, as we get closer and closer to this record and 14 weeks obviously is is really a milestone in itself to, to get to that mark. Um, and when you look back at these these songs, which of you, which to you is the most surprising that it that it lasted 14 weeks? Because hmm. I'll say I'll say most of the staffers here, I think the Black Eyed Peas song is the one that they're like, yeah, I wouldn't put that anywhere near the top of the list. Really? It still still sounds fresh to me today. It was when David Guetta was really breaking. So it was that combination. I just think that's it's a great, still a great pop dance song. I mean, I think I think it's just one of the things where they 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 know it, and and it's one of those songs that obviously lends itself very well to do sort of this timeliness because it'll be you know at weddings and celebrate you know graduations yeah, right. and bar mitzvahs and whatever and parties like you know it lends itself easily to that kind of situation but i think for some people maybe you know to think that it got 14 weeks this song that you know and i don't know if maybe it's different because you lived through it or maybe it doesn't seem do to i happen. work with colleagues who don't live through a song that was 2009 eight years ago well, i mean you did but or maybe if it's one of those things that I, it wasn't you know, these, these other ones have been very critically, you know, acclaimed over the course of time. Maybe the Black Eyed Peas song they don't think is in that same sort of, you know, 
but people say, oh, this is a, a great, marvelous, you know, critical hoity-toity song. These, I mean, I guess in a nation of hundreds of millions of people, uh, there's always people out there who are, who are ready to dance and just just have a good time, and, and that kept up. All right, so those are uh, 14-week uh, number ones. We'll see if uh, Despacito again uh, next week leaves that list. This week's uh, Industry Insider Interview, it's Sandy Sturt Benjamin, worked on American Top 40, Casey Kasem back in the 70s. Again, we were talking at the top of the podcast how uh, it was a typical week until uh, Sandy found out that Elvis Presley had died uh, 40 years ago and just changed everything for American Top 40. They'd never had a show like that where they lost uh, such an icon of music. So uh, interesting details. She's going to share about that, about uh, working with Casey, uh, how she was the one. She's going to go, well, save it for the interview, but she was uh, a liaison to the Billboard charts as well back then. So uh, here is Sandy uh, talking about all things Elvis and American Top 40 on the Billboard Chart Podcast. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Sandy Sturt Benjamin, thank you so much for coming on the Billboard Sharpie podcast. Oh, thank you. It's my pleasure. So uh, what's interesting about this is uh, not many people would have this uh, type of perspective that, that you have, uh, Sandy, from being on the front lines of American Top 40 uh, 40 years ago. We want to ask you so much about that, just uh, what it was like uh, working with Casey Kasem and on American Top 40. But uh, I'm assuming in many ways this is a week that must really uh, stand out uh, in your memory when you think back about working on the show, the week uh, 40 years ago now. Uh, we're at that point when uh, Elvis Presley passed away and you were working on the show and and uh, as you've uh, told us uh, before the interview, that was really ju just a week like no other. Uh, yeah, it was quite unbelievable. I had been with the show already at, at that point for about four years. And honestly, I don't remember any other event that really just um, you know affected the staff so much. And it was such a, a strange uh, way that we all kind of found out about it, or at least for me personally. Um, we were scheduled to have a script meeting that day. And I had gone out for an early lunch, so I'd be back in time for the meeting. And I had the car radio on. And it had just started raining. And keep in mind, this is August in Los Angeles, normally a very hot and sunny time. And so the rain started, and then they interrupted the broadcast to say that Elvis had died. 
And I just had the weirdest sense that it was like this was a metaphor for, you know, the whole globe weeping that we had lost this hero. How did that affect the actual taping of American Top 40 that week? Was was there a show ready to go? And, and did hearing the news that the biggest, the king of rock and roll had passed away, did that change everything that you guys were working on that week? Yeah, it really did. Um, you know, we were just going to go into this regular meeting. And then all of a sudden, when I got back and, you know, everybody was assembled, uh, it was almost like everybody just had like a ghostly expression. And everybody was just saying, uh, you know, it just seemed like Elvis was immortal and we can't believe he's, he's gone. And we knew that even though we had the countdown to do and had to do the, the 40 songs as scheduled, that we would have to do some kind of tribute to him. And so anyway, we just kind of, you know, end into adrenaline overdrive, really, to put together um, a tribute that we were hoping would be, you know, fitting and complimentary and, you know, and, and say it right. And because uh, we only had really a few minutes in which to do that. And I do think we pulled it off. Um, what was interesting also about that time was Elvis's 146th chart song had already fallen out of the top 40. The song was called Way Down. And after uh, he died, you know, record sales started picking up in his memory. And uh, the song rebounded, went to number right. 18, I think. And, um, you know, it's like the music continues to live on 40 years later. You've uh, said it was sort of reminiscent of when uh, President Kennedy uh, was shot and then uh, when John Lennon uh, would, uh, would be shot uh, three years later. Uh, just, just one of those weeks where it just uh, – you said you weren't expecting it. So just the shock angle, you still had to do the show that week. Was it tough? Uh, yeah, we see that at Billboard when, when Michael Jackson died. We, you know, The, the business side of us uh, has to uh, put out the issue. But there's that mental, uh, that fan side where you just can't believe this artist that you love is suddenly gone. Exactly. I'm, I'm sure our experience with the show is very much what you're describing here at Billboard, that when an icon of that magnitude passes – you know, you're just really kind of um, on automatic pilot. You're doing your job, but, you know, something doesn't feel right. And that's very much what the mood was like that day um, at AT40. But, you know, I, I hope we did Elvis justice in, in the uh, tribute that we did. And, um, yeah, it really does remain, you know, one of the most outstanding memories for me. And um, as we talked about, you know, previously, very much it reminded me of, you know, Kennedy and uh, John Lennon. And I just kind of rank those as, you know, three of the most, um, um, I guess, uh, I don't know, just, you know, really sad stories that just kind of shook everybody when you heard that they had all died. What was the tribute? Uh, who put it together? And, and what was Casey uh, Kasem's involvement? Because ultimately, it's, it's all people are going to hear him uh, ultimately as the voice behind it. So, so what actually happened? Uh, you, you, uh, you find out that uh, Elvis had passed away. What, what were some of the specifics? Who, who starts writing what? And, and how did you put it all together uh, so quickly to, to get the show out on unusual deadlines? Well, as I recall, I, I think the, the main person who uh, started tackling the, the tribute and the, the one who actually kind of knew Casey the best uh, was Don Bastani. He was one of the producers on the show. And, you know, he and Casey actually uh, developed American Top 40. And they were college buds, you know, back in Detroit. So their friendship went a long way. So I think if anybody could sort of, you know, really get into how uh, Casey would articulate um, such news, um, it was probably Don. So I think Don kind of started the ball rolling, and then we all just kind of chipped in with, you know, whatever we, we thought needed to be said. 
And it certainly wasn't the last time that um, Elvis was brought up in the context of the show. Do you know um, if anybody also had, you know, any indication of what to do when something like this happens? Like you mentioned, you know, JFK had passed away and obviously he's a president, not a music figure. But I mean, Elvis was really, you know, one of the first icons to just suddenly, you know, die out of nowhere. I mean, I hate to make it sound so... So blase, but like you mentioned, John Lennon is, you know, after that and Michael Jackson is way after that. Did anybody around even know what to do when somebody of this magnitude even passes away? I think, um, you know, we just kind of winged it to the the best of our ability in terms of doing what we had to do without, you know, totally breaking tradition on the show and, you know, departing format. You know, we did for the few minutes that the tribute was done. But then, you know, we had 40 records to play. And, you know, if any of your listeners aren't aware, Billboard um, was the supplier of the chart for Casey Kasem's show. So, um, you know, we relied on, on you guys to, to get the info there. And that's uh, part of the the three-day cycle that was going on with AT40. I said we were there for um, a script meeting, and that was normally on a Tuesday. That was the day that Elvis died. Um Wednesday is when um, you guys would call in the advanced chart to me. I was the designated receiver of the advanced uh-huh. chart positions. So um, so then, you know, we would then, um, you know, fashion the show uh, after sequencing all the songs and knowing, you know, what stories were supposed to go where. And then on Thursday morning, bright and early, Casey would come in and record it. To you, Sandy, you were one of the uh, first people to find out uh, the chart in advance of, of really anyone else in the world back then. <laughs> I feel very privileged. Yeah, this was true. And you know what's so interesting? If this were happening today, everybody would just be emailed um, an advance copy of the chart after Billboard compiled it. And, you know, we'd all get to work at our respective desks and deal with it. But, you know, this was 1976, and computers weren't really common in the workplace. So, you know, this was all done the old-fashioned way. So, you know, one of your chart department people, and I think the guy's name was Barry O'Neill, maybe? Um, I talked to a couple of people there, but I think Barry was the guy who um, phoned in the chart to me. And then I would laboriously write down all the titles from number 40 to number one, then take the sheet um, type it up so it would be neat, then disseminate it to the staff, and then we'd all get to work on the things that we had to do, knowing how the songs were positioned. So, yeah, it was really kind of an interesting position to be in. Yeah, I want to ask you some of the specifics about what uh, your job actually uh, was at that point, but just uh, when you did the, the show that week, what was the uh, the feeling uh, once it was actually done, and how did uh, Casey uh, handle uh, the script? Because you know people listen to American Top 40, and it's still... For you know, it's a weekly escape of, of fun. You're, you're talking about music, so suddenly uh, it became a you know, in some ways, a sad episode. You're trying to find uh, sort of that balance between uh, obviously the news was sad, but uh, you know, the, remembering all the the great music that Elvis had provided over the years. Right. Well, I think Casey delivered it uh, very sensitively, and um, you know, just. He could be relied on to deliver anything, you know. So I I think it was a very heartfelt tribute, ultimately. And um, I think... 
Well, as I recall, I, you know, it was, a, it was a sad kind of moment, but, you know, at the same time, you didn't want to get anybody, you know, too down who was listening. Everybody knew what happened. Keep in mind that, you know, because when I refer to the advanced chart, um, this was the chart that would match up with the Billboard magazine that was on the uh, newsstands the following week. It was about 10 days early, 10 days before the street date when the chart was called in. So at this point, people already had a chance to process the news that Elvis was gone. It had already been about 10 days. Um, okay, right. You know, so, yeah, that kind of gave it a little bit of a different perspective, I think. Yeah, you forget uh, nowadays, uh, back then, uh, hearing American Top 40 on, on Sunday morning, that's when you found out. Uh, no internet. This is, in many ways, you found out uh, the charts for the first time. It was just such just the one place you could find out this information every week. Absolutely. And I think people really trusted Casey. You know, he had that kind of voice where you were comforted by it and you you saw him as a person of authority. We talked about uh, John Lennon about three uh, years, a little bit more later after that. Did Sadly, I, I guess he went through sort of a similar uh, show uh, that week. I'm sure it all kind of factored into that. I was already gone from the show at that point. I was with okay. the show for almost six years. Uh, what I understood is when Elvis died, I, I'm sorry, when John Lennon died, apparently um, he had had a song in the countdown. And so anyway, they had to like go back and actually record something because at that point the show had already been produced and... So there was like, you know, if you didn't get there in time to change it, it would have gone out like, hey, no one's even mentioning he's gone, but, you know, he's at number 13 or whatever. I think that had to be remedied in that manner, but I, I wasn't there to tell you firsthand about it. Yeah, especially it would have been, I guess, kind of weird if they'd announced like a, maybe an upcoming concert or something that would have been like, you know, John will be at Madison Square Garden in two weeks or something like that would have been that would be bad. weird. Yeah, that would be very bad. Yeah, <laughs> you're right. <laughs> Uh, Sandy, how'd you get to American Top 40? Uh, uh, you were there pretty much just a, a few, if you started in the, the early 70s. The, the show right. started July 4th, 1970. How'd you, how'd you wind exactly. up there and, and, and what did you do there? Um, well, um, you know, I cold called Casey uh, just for the heck of it. He was always, you know, really uh, iconic in Los Angeles where I grew up. He had a TV show called Shebang. Uh, he was also on local radio, a station uh, called KRLA. So I really kind of grew up with him. I'd come home from school and watch him on TV, and then I'd, you know, turn on the radio, listen to him there. And then, you know, uh, years down the line, when American uh, Top 40 debuted, I found the station in L.A. that was carrying that, and I was listening to it. And I happened to be in between jobs at that particular time and just thought, well, you know, I, I really like what I'm hearing with AT40. And I bet this would be a fun place to work. And so I looked up the number for Watermark, uh, which is the uh, company that produced the show. And I left a message for Casey, not really feeling he's ever going to call me back. And sure enough, uh, in a very short period of time, uh, he called back and said, can you come down for an interview? And um, he asked me if I could be there actually in 30 minutes. And um, so I, I rushed down there. And guess what? Casey wasn't there. But uh, he actually had a really good excuse. His wife was expecting a baby, like any minute. 
and this is Mike Kasem that that was about to be born. And, and for uh, those who don't know, he's a successful um, radio personality himself in Singapore. He's been out there for years. But anyway, uh, yeah, Mike was about to be born. And between the time that Casey hung up the phone uh, with me uh, and I got over there, he had gotten a call from his wife saying, like, I think I'm going into labor. So um, Casey left and he left also with explicit instructions uh, for the receptionist to carry out the interview. And um you know, and then re- report back. And uh, that's how it all happened. And within a few days, I, I was notified. You got a job with American Top 40. Specifically, oh. what were you hired for? Uh, okay. Well, it was a small staff. So I found that I was put in a position of actually uh, wearing a lot of hats. Um, I was uh, helping with uh, statistics and eventually became the the full-time statistician, but I was doing, um, I was working on specials, uh, I was interviewing the talent, so we would get those stories that Casey could tell, and um, uh, just really whatever had to be done, uh, you know, the, the research, uh, even, you know, helping to gather the music, I mean, you name it, it, it was done, did a lot of continuity, and ultimately, I was the only one who actually sat in the recording booth with Casey. You know, there would be other people in the studio, but they were on the other side of the glass, but he wanted me to be in the studio with him to also just, you know, feed him little tidbits and stuff. So, uh, yeah, it was quite an experience all the way around. So when we listen to these uh, '70s shows, which you can find uh, on the iHeart app and uh, different uh, locations, uh, he's he's telling the world all this information. But you were the one person he was literally looking at and, and really talking to, one on one. No pressure. A lot of the times that was really true, but I don't want to take away anything, you know, from uh, Casey's own vast knowledge and, you know, also the contributions of the rest of the staff, because it really wasn't a one-person job. But I felt very honored that he asked me to sit in the studio with him and, and just help out with that kind of stuff. What was uh, what was so special? What, 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 what did he see in you, uh, Sandy, that he, he said, you're the one, you have to sit in here? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> don't know how I got singled out for that or how I got singled out exactly to be the one who received the billboard chart in advance. It just kind of happened. I, yeah. You know, I think he just, uh, uh, my only guess is he probably saw I was really enthusiastic and knowledgeable about the music. And um, I think he just thought I could do him some good in a pinch like that, you know. I got to meet uh, Casey once. He came up to a radio station in Boston where I was working. It was a huge deal for me to meet him because I'd always listened. And I, I thought he couldn't have been nicer, just so gracious, uh, really uh, took the time to, to really just uh, chat for, for a minute or so. Uh, is that is that uh, what you always saw in, in working with him uh, for, for all those years, uh, Sandy? Yeah, very much so. And, you know, I would hear accounts from other people, too, along the way of how he would try to give them a chance if they said they were interested in, you know, working with him or getting into the business or something. So I think he was, you know, very much, uh, you know, a pay it forward kind of guy. Did you have a lot of interaction with artists? Where I, I know back then it was pretty much, uh, if you listen now with, with Ryan Seacrest, he, he's got uh, interviews with uh, artists and, and actors and actresses. Back then it was really the Casey Kasem show. But was there interaction with uh, whether record labels or, or artists back then? Because uh, American Top 40 was uh, was uh, such the hub of, of music and, and the charts back then. Did, did you get to uh, meet artists? Were, were they ever coming by? Anything like that? Um, yeah. Um, and actually, your observation about the difference between Casey and the way Ryan Seacrest uh, does it are really two different things. Um, there was behind the scenes um, artist uh, interaction, uh, because I was one of the interviewers there. Actually, for a long time, I was the West Coast interviewer. We also had somebody in New York. 
And so anyway, the interviews we did, they didn't necessarily have to be in person because, as you recall, Casey would be the storyteller. So we weren't putting their voices on the air. But what I found really interesting is when I was brand new to the show, um, I sought out uh, Tom Rounds, who was the head of Watermark. And I said to him, you know, what I think is missing from the show is we're not putting any of these celebrity interviews into the show. And I asked him if they wanted to remedy it because I was doing interviews and, you know, taking notes, but not recording the talent. And Tom Rounds, who was known as TR, said to me, well, you know, the the magic of the show is that Casey is the storyteller. So, you know, we don't need the audio. But I have to tell you something really funny. Now, you got to fast forward like 14 years. I started a company called The Interview Factory, which provides celebrity interviews to people in radio so they can build their own entertainment reports around it. So anyway, around 1984, um, AT40 decides, you know, we should start putting artists on the air as well. And so they didn't have any of these recordings on tape. So who did they call? <laughs> they they <laughs> called us, my, my company, The Interview Factory, and said, okay, we kind of, you know, we're in a bind and we want to, you know, put these artists who are in the countdown into the show and we don't have any audio on them. Can you help us out? So anyway, uh, I kind of wound up being involved with AT40 again for a while because we provided the initial uh, audio interviews that they started airing. Yeah. It all comes full circle. Yeah, there's kind of the magic of of Casey though that the you know the thinking was that you didn't need uh, the artist at that time though that he could just theater of the mind he could uh, take you uh, to to exactly what they were thinking uh, he, he had the power to do that with his his ability. He really did. Yeah, yeah. I could I could see how the show would have worked both ways. But I think when they introduced the interviews, it was probably time just to have a different element there. But right. yeah, nobody could tell a story like Casey. Uh, obviously, the Elvis Presley, you know, week stands out. Um, I'm sure of your time there. Are there any other stories or or episodes that particularly stand out for whatever reason? Um, you know, there's not one particular day that altered the recording or anything like that. I think some of the memories that um, stand out are um, just the fact that a lot of people really respected the show, a lot of uh, recording artists. So we would get feedback from them. Um, like at the time that uh, Barry Manilow started having hits, um, when he was tracked down for an interview, his first response was, I was wondering when you guys were going to call. So I thought that was kind of cute. Another thing that I thought was kind of interesting is um, I had uh, done a story. um, Well, you know, we would answer um, fans' questions on the air with, like, statistical answers and, you know, things that they would ask a question, like, tell me who did this on the chart or whatever. And um, so anyway, somebody who was a twin and and identified themselves as such uh, wrote in to say, you know, tell me about, you know, twins who might have been on the chart. So... Uh, in particular, um, we had highlighted the Kalen twins. Um, and, you know, those are the guys uh, who had that song called When, uh, I guess in 59 or so, um, a top five record. And anyway, so we did this feature on them. And like after that aired, um, one of the Kalen twins got a hold of me and said like, oh, we heard this and, you know, we were so touched by this and we want to send the person who sent in the question, like our latest record. Who knew they were still recording in like the 70s right. or 80s? But, you know, it was kind of cool. And, uh, you know, so other artists had reached out to us. And, you know, those are kind of memorable events, too. 
Yeah, you know, you're, you're doing this show every week. There's maybe that uh, tendency to just think that it's your own little world. Did you ever uh, fully realize how many people it was going out to, uh, millions of people around the every, you know, Casey would mention stations. He mentioned uh, uh, army bases where, where people listening. Did it ever really hit you while you were working on the show, Sandy, of just really what an impact uh, the show is having? You know, it's so funny. Uh, other people have asked that question of me and, and of others uh, on the staff. And I think while we were in the thick of it, even though on one hand you knew that it was reaching a really broad audience and, you know, that kind of thing, at the same time, you know, you were just so immersed in your work that I don't think it really totally registered, you know, because we would no sooner wrap one show and then kind of start, you know, dismantling it, the whole thing, and then just rev up again for the next week. Would you listen to the shows on the weekends when they aired, or at that point you'd heard so much of it in in producing it that you you, you couldn't listen at that point, or was it just (laughs) just too weird? Well, it it wasn't really weird, but, um, you know, I knew the top 40 songs backwards and forwards at that point in time. And, um, you know, sitting in the studio kind of gave me an an edge. And then my actual office was like right next door to the studio. So, um, you know, I just kind of heard it round the clock. There wasn't a particular need to tune into it on the radio. But, um, you know, still really exciting, you know, just being uh, in that kind of... um, Circumstance, because I was always just a music fanatic and a chart freak and the whole thing. So that was kind of a best of both worlds situation to be working there. Do you still listen to America Top 40? I know you said the Seacrest version is, is a little different than what you remember, but do you still tune in? I, well, I don't tune in for the entire Top 40, but I tune in, you know, for little bits and pieces just to get a sense of it. Um, and, you know, I, I do follow uh, Billboard. I'm still a subscriber. I've been subscribing all my life and actually reading it since I was a little kid. I was like probably the only seven-year-old who sat down with Billboard and, you know, kind of had a sense of what the charts were. And uh, what music do you listen to uh, now? I uh, saying you're still a big music fan? Yeah, I still am. Um, you know, I try to listen to uh, Top 40 and uh, a little bit of everything, really. I, I'm one of those notorious dial hoppers because uh, I kind of like to know what's going on with everything. But, you know, also, um, I I actually like a lot of what's going on in country music. And I have to say that when I was with American Top 40, you know, they launched um, the sister show, American Country Countdown. Right. So I actually worked a little bit on that, too. And that kind of, you know, really introduced me to who these artists were and what the music was. And I liked the story angle, um, you know, the, the storytelling angle that the country songs tend to have. And I also interviewed people for um, American Country Countdown for a little while, too. So I found, you know, when doing the interviews, the country artists were just always uh, the most down-home friendly people. And uh, so it, it kind of made me a country fan. So, uh, you know, I listened to that as well. You know, I started with America Top 40 in the summer of 1973. And in October, I think, of, of that same year, American Country Countdown was launched. And so Don Bowman had actually been an old friend of Casey's. Um, their paths crossed when they were, on, I think, on stations together and you know that kind of thing. Well, thank you so much, Sandy. This is great. You said uh, Interview Factory is what you wound up uh, doing. You're still uh, still working on that now, or what? Uh, what? What are you doing uh, these days specifically? Yeah. Um, well, still doing that. Um, a few years uh, after I left uh, America Top Forty, I wanted to do something that was going to be. Uh, 
you know, fun and last and, you know, fill a void in radio. And I knew that there wasn't uh, any kind of interview service there. And, you know, things were just like so heavily gravitating towards, um, you know, who, well, featuring celebrities on the air. You know, this was, this was in the 80s. So long uh, form, um, Specials were kind of the norm at that point. A lot of places were putting out like hour long specials on people. And then there were also a lot of short form sh- shows. And I thought, you know, if, if I could create some kind of source where uh, we're doing interviews uh, with um, recording artists as well as actors and kind of, you know, filling the needs of what radio would want, this might be something they'd like to plug into their shows. So, yeah, we've been uh, doing this ever since and um, have worked with uh, radio stations not only across the country, but um, internationally as well. So it's been a lot of fun, and we've uh, interviewed um, a lot of uh, great artists and actors. Is there anything, um, I'm just kind of curious about this myself, like anything about the nature of celebrity interviews that has changed from from when you started to now? I know some people think that perhaps with social media, you know, you have to be a little nicer to celebrities because they have so many more outlets to 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 go with i mean have you noticed anything about the way interviews have been conducted in the past couple decades i think you know some people are maybe a little bit more cautious when they're talking to the press now only because um you know coverage can be so widespread i mean you know just go beyond its original intentions um i'm not citing the journalists necessarily it's just uh that, you know, now stories that, that get picked up by anybody gets uh, repeated on the internet and in all kinds of things. There's more of a gossipy angle to it now. So I think sometimes uh, some of the um, people that we talk to are just a little bit more cautious in terms of what they say. But, you know, beyond that, uh, the need has always been there for the interviews because that's how they promote their music, their concerts, you know, their movie, whatever it happens to be. So I think, you know, they kind of know how to finesse their way around it. The word that keeps uh, coming up, uh, Sandy, is storytelling, uh, talking about how uh, Casey was such a master at that. It sounds like that's uh, kind of your take on uh, entertainment as well. You, uh, from uh, interviews like this, bringing uh, the words of, of uh, people uh, to, to fans everywhere. It seems like that's what kind of drives you. Is that what you like most about having uh, worked uh, in the industry, just uh, telling people stories and, and uh, getting that out to fans? Well, it's certainly one of the more fun aspects. Um, I actually uh, entered the business as a, a print writer. Um, I started as a print journalist, and I think that's kind of what helped me, you know, land um, at AT40 because I also was able to show like writing samples and things like that, so they knew that I was, you know, doing what I claimed to be doing. Um, but um, yeah, I think being able to tell the stories, as you were saying, um, is kind of a, a a nice feel. You know, you've got somebody who's trusting you when they're uh, in the interviewer's seat. And if you can, you know, turn around and, and uh, tell their story in a way that they're proud of, you know, that's that's really nice. And, and, you know, we've gotten feedback on that kind of stuff, too, where somebody says, like, oh, you know, you nailed it. You told my life story. Um, the late Benny King uh, was uh, somebody, actually, who did that. He had done an interview with us, um, our company, uh, as opposed to AT40. And I had written a story for a publication, and we met him at a later date, and, you know, and um, had gotten a copy of the magazine to him and and uh, you know he just looked at us and said like this is me you know you told my story so you know that's really rewarding when uh you can do that for somebody we started uh, talking about elvis uh sandy were, were you a big personally elvis fan and and uh, before we close what, what what's a good elvis song we should uh, go out with here maybe one of your favorites oh 
I liked a lot of what he did. I think In the Ghetto is a great song. Um, in answer to the, the first part of the question, you know, I always knew Elvis was there, and I liked his music, but then after he died, it just kind of really... Um, you know, hit me that, oh, all this great stuff, you know, is going to come to an end. And his contribution was huge. And I did come to really appreciate him even more. So yeah, you know, any song you want to play by him, believe me, I'm a fan. And uh, 40 years later, uh, here we are uh, talking about his, his passing. I, I think you know, people still uh, understand how, how big uh, he was. But does it feel feel like now, 40 years later after his passing, that he, he still was absolutely one of the people who just uh, changed, uh, whether it's music or even pop culture, uh, you know, more than, than almost anyone else in, in terms of uh, music history? It's amazing that he did. Yeah, I don't know that um, the younger generation has a full sense of that, but I think, you know, people of my generation sure recognize it. I mean, I think even a show like American Top 40, um, you know, got to be what it was because of artists like Elvis and very much, you know, Elvis period, uh, because he shaped rock and roll. You know, I don't know what kind of songs we would be counting down had it not been for his achievement. So I hope uh, younger generations kind of realize that, you know, as they still hear his music today. And uh, he was really quite a phenomenon. And it, it is hard to believe it's been 40 years. It really doesn't seem like it's been that many. And, you know, the interesting thing, too, is Elvis only lived to be 42 years old. So he's been gone for almost as long as he was here, and that's just you know startling to me. Right. Well, Sandy, this is uh, this is so fun. We're 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 uh, chart geeks. We, we know a lot of people listening really love uh, the ins and outs of the charts, and American Top Forty is is so synonymous with that. So just a real thrill for us to uh, hear uh, some of the uh, background of how the show is uh, put together uh, every week, and, and what Casey Kasem was like, and, and what you did, and, and especially this uh, week, forty years ago, when it was uh, a week so different when uh, when we lost Elvis. So uh, really, thank you so much, Sandy, for uh, coming on and and sharing all these stories. Well, thank you so much for inviting me. I really had fun talking to you both. conversation. Remember that song, uh, Trevor? No, yeah. I don't remember Kate, it. Kate, Gary our intern, listen. remembers it. Well, you were old enough. Right? I wasn't alive for it. 2002. Oh, and they like unearthed it from the... Uh... Yeah, there it is. It's a good song. A little no less conversation. A little more rock your body. That's Ariana Grande. Yes, that's into you. That's into I, you. I, knew it was, I couldn't figure out where that was coming. <laughs> yeah. I knew it wasn't Elvis, but I was yeah. like... Think, do you think no, Elvis no, no, Presley would sing Rock Your Body? Elvis. I just couldn't figure out why that was in my head. Elvis, Ariana. Because you jumped Same right thing. on it. I know, but because he said a little less conversation, and that's where my brain went. Elvis, Ariana, whoever, uh, 2002. So do you remember that when that came back, Trevor? 2002, he had that uh, 30 number ones album. It was a number one album on the Billboard 200. Um, a little bit. I, I mean, I, I never really was into Elvis as a kid very, very much. Uh, my dad apparently was. I didn't realize that when he was growing up. Um, but this was, I remember we were in one of our elementary school classes, his birthday, uh, which was in January. Um, one of our teachers like specifically did like an Elvis theme sort of day in, in English class. And that was probably the first time I ever like really found out about, you know, Elvis and some Elvis songs and some things like that. 
So um, I do remember like the album being a thing at the time because it was right around the time that album was was was, was big. Um, so that that's about all the uh, the connection I have to Elvis at that particular time. All right, uh, in the Billboard issue right after Elvis died, uh, it's a whole editorial and a lot of stories on page one. Uh, one of them said how he was uh, kind and loving to his parents. He was a shy person who actually preferred privacy to public exposure. Maybe that's not that surprising for huge stars who, uh, you know, they get their uh, attention outlet uh, by being on stage, but off stage, just uh, really more reclusive. Yeah, I mean, that's something that I think we've seen countless times over music history. I mean, especially from sort of the bigger star you are, the more reclusive you you kind of have to be. I mean, even like Elvis, I mean, we see with Michael Jackson that he was very, you know, try, try to keep to himself as much as he could out of the public eye. Freddie Mercury, a lot of friends say, you know, was I mean, even his voice was 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 his speaking voice was much lower than people thought compared no. to like sort of his high his high tenor. Um, and uh, same same thing was 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 shy, reclusive, not 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 in a socially awkward kind of way, but just you know was not nearly who you think he would be based on his expressive personality. And even you know outside of music, I mean, comedians all the time people yeah, say right. that Robert Williams, Steve Martin are much more low key in real life than they than they are these these big expression personalities on stage trevor doesn't say a word to anyone around here unless the microphone is on for that, the podcast that's 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 it don't don't catch me outside uh one of the, the nice things was in the editorial as well it just feels maybe uh, more fitting this week there was a quote about his influence it said uh so billboard wrote back then uh he molded the rural sound of southern black gospel with back home country music to create a blending in 1954 of black and white musical influences this helped explode rock around the world Changed the sound of popular music. He started out as a rebel, ended up a legend. So feels feels uh, apt way to put it. Funny, how, yeah, it's funny how you know when you when he first gets out there, Elvis the pelvis and all these sort of things, and how he, you know, is is indecent and and children shouldn't be listening to him. And of course, by right by the time he dies, everyone's mourning. You know, we see his legacy obviously is still so strong today. I mean, not even just in terms of his achievements and charts and success, but. In his in popular culture, he's a huge figure. Everyone knows, you know, you can strike just certain poses. Everyone knows you're trying to imitate Elvis. Graceland, obviously, um, still a huge attraction. Second most visited home in the country. His influence is still up there. All right, so a great day from Sandy on all that. Let's go from Let's kick things back to 2001. That is the fantastic song. Still timeless to this day, really. Let Me Blow Your Mind, Eve featuring Gwen Stefani, a number two hit on the Hot 100. Um, Eve actually has a pair of number two hits to her credit. I think most people most people probably know this song, um, do not know uh, the song Gangsta Lovin' with Alicia Keys. That was also a number two hit. This one probably, probably is aged a little bit better. Um, I want to talk about Eve in particular because... Pretty rare that we've seen in Hot 100 history uh, a female rapper be particularly this high on the chart and, and doing so strong. This week in 2017, we see once again somebody breaking through the barrier, Cardi B, right. with Bodak Yellow, Money Moves that we saw a little bit earlier. So, um, again, not something we see continually often, but the fact that at least at least 16 years apart, if not more, you know, there's still, still female rappers out there doing strong. On the uh, 2007 countdown we did a few weeks ago, we, we played a clip of Tambourine 
which was her it remains her last Hot 100 appearance 10 years ago at this point. Yeah, I mean, and again, that like we kind of mentioned back then, a little weird because Tambourine never ended up on an album. People, I heard it like I heard it, like you know at a club like a month ago. So I'm surprised people still actually like even knew this song. Great clip. Um, you put out an album uh, in the 2010s, but did not have Tambourine on it from from 2007. And whatever happened to those years, kind of a lost project. But I know she's she's married now, happily married. So I think you know maybe maybe she's kind of kind of hung it up. But in any case, this was a this was a huge hit for her back then. Um, really one of the few people. Uh, one of the few female rappers we saw kind of come after the heyday in the 90s. You had people like Queen Latifah, MC Light. You know, they had started to, to either fade out of the mainstream popularity or, like Queen Latifah's case, really turn into acting and other outlets. Uh, this is before Nicki Minaj is coming through. So really, you know, for a moment there, it's it's Eve and Missy Elliott holding it down for, for women rappers. And then uh, Eve and Gwen Stefani would team up again for another top 10. Uh, Rich Girl, number seven hit in 2005. Rich Girl, yeah. Eve, when she does her verse, um, actually... This is a little callback, again, like, like a little callback, just in the song, and her verse says, Chicks that blow your mind, ding, it's the second round. Yeah. So they're back together, teaming up uh, once again. But um, it'd be kind of cool, I mean, of course, to see Eve, if she if she were able to put out uh, some new projects. I mean, I think I think she left a little too early for the game, and especially now that people like Nicki and, and it seems like Cardi is the next one to take the stage, it would be nice to see some of these legends get back. Missy Elliott came back a yeah, few years right, ago right. after that long, long hiatus, and you know, could be working on a new album as well. So there's definitely some room for Eve. And I think as she sort of aged out of the cycle, um, people become a lot more appreciative of her work as well. You're usually the one who mentions Grammy achievements, Trevor. Do you know why this song is historic for the Grammys? I do. <laughs> I, 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 I do, Gary. Yeah. Um, as we kind of mentioned before, uh, a couple times on this podcast, the, the rap song collaboration is so important. To me personally, if, if to nobody else, and um, in the 2000s, finally the Grammys recognized the importance of rap song collaborations, giving them their own Grammy category. And you know, I think also in a moment that is that is really great. Two women win the first Grammy Award for right. best rap song collaboration. A lot of times, it ends up going to maybe guy girl pairs, maybe even guy guys. But right. for two women to be the first ones to take yeah. on this rap award. Right. For anyone who was waiting for that uh, award to, to be created, who would have guessed it would have been two women to be at the first one. Yeah, and they beat out some, some kind of heavyweight guys at the time. Uh, so other nominees in that category that year, Ja Rule featuring Case, Living It Up. Uh, we've got Jagged Edge and Nelly, Where the Party At, Ludacris, Nate Dogg, Area Codes, and Mystic featuring Planet Asia with W. So... Gwen and Gwen and Eve taking the taking the trophy home amongst on top there. So Gwen and Eve taking home the trophy on top of all those acts, and they're still actually to this day the only pair of women to to take that award. Everything else has been either um, you know more than two acts, but a guy's always been involved. Whether he's been the featured act, lead act on the song, you know, it's never been just two women. Have other women have won this award though? Yeah, I mean, like other like Beyonce's won, like for Crazy in Love. Um, Nelly and Kelly Rowland won as well. So other women have won, but it's never been just, exclusively just women. women. Right. Yeah. All right. Uh, that's this week's uh, podcast. We'll talk to you next week. We're doing another countdown. I, I'm, I'm really – not that I'm not excited about the other ones, but this is back when I was growing up. Uh, we're going to go back 30 years. 1987, the Hot 100, the last week of August 1987. What's going to be happening on that particular week, Gary? All right. We're going to count down uh, next week for number 40. We're going to do this in two parts, uh, number 40 to 21, and uh, welcome special guest Tiffany, who is making her Hot 100 debut 
that very week. He wasn't in the top 40 yet, but uh, I think we're alone now debuted at number 84. So she is our special guest next week, and then we'll pick it up uh, the next week, number 20 to number one, if Tiffany is our first guest. Who is our second guest, Trevor? Debbie Gibson. Yep. Gary's other Gary who's your favorite between Tiffany and Debbie Gibson now this is the question we've been waiting for you're gonna make me say that when we're interviewing both of them over the next two weeks you should we save it for these we save it for the conclusion is that what people need to look forward to I'll just keep pushing off the answer as long as I can Gary non-committal Debbie Gibson was having her first top five hot 100 hit uh, in August 1987 her album uh, her debut album out of the blue was just about to debut on the Billboard 200. So we're going to uh, talk about uh, 30 years in the music business for both because they both started as teens. Uh, talked about uh, growing up in the industry. Uh, Debbie Gibson has her first box set coming out uh, later this year as well called We Could Be Together. So we'll talk about that over the next couple of weeks going back to 1987 before we were born. Right? And if you haven't got enough of Despacito yet, uh, Macarena these past couple of weeks, we'll also have a nice little surprise that will tie it all together with what was – the number one song back in 87. This is the time when Whitney's out, when George Michael's about to come out with his first solo album, Michael Jackson's about to be out. Yeah. But there is a song that uh, you may may have forgotten about a little bit, but everyone knows the song, but you may not realize just how big a hit it was at the time, number one in 87. So we'll talk about that as well. All right. We've kind of gone all over the place, I feel like, this week with uh, Despacito and Cardi B and Elvis and 1987. What should we... What should we close with, Trevor? Um, ooh, that's a good, that's a good, good question. You know, I feel like uh, we talk about all this current, all these current songs. You know, all these fourteen week number ones. We don't get a whole lot of time to talk about some of these old classics back there. Uh, we got Elvis Presley, as we mentioned earlier, forty years ago he passed away. And like I was talking about, one of my early Elvis memories was was that time in sixth grade. And I remember my first Elvis record I ever heard. My aunt owned a two sided single. I didn't realize Hound Dog was on one side of it. I never knew that until like I was 15. But the song she used to always play, she was a big fan of Don't Be Cruel by Elvis Presley. That's the very first song I remember playing. So I think that's the one I want to close with today. To relive my childhood memories, here is Elvis Presley, 1956. Don't Be Cruel. Take it away, King. Don't be cruel to a heart that's true. Don't be cruel. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.